Well, we started a new series a couple of weeks ago called Big Church, not because our church is big, because the church is big. I don't know, a quarter of the world's population are part of the church. I don't know exact statistic, but that's a lot of people, so that's big. Today's topic is big and bold. And we've been asked the question, what comes to mind when you think of the word church? So I got to thinking when we started going to church, I was a teen, young teenager, and Things, things I remember from back then. So church was Sunday morning like we do here. We had a Sunday school and a church service. And then we came back on Sunday evenings. We had this thing called church training or training union. And uh, it's kind of like Sunday school in the evening. But the thing I didn't like about it was they made you talk. <laughs> and I was shy and they'd make you stand up and do a part of the lesson. Good practice, but I, it made me, made me nervous. But then the Sunday evening service had a lot of singing, and I'm not a singer, and so that was a challenge for me. Uh, I also remember Bible school. Bible school was always cool. We got to march in, pledge, do these pledges and things, and, and so it was pretty exciting. The other thing I remember, though, is probably near my, sometime in high school, our church had a split, negative thing. But our parents went with the pastor of the church that was voted out, I guess you'd say. And so we started a new church in a school. So we didn't have the trappings of feeling like a church was a building because we didn't have a building. And then I got to thinking about this church. The first years of this church's existence, it met in a community center. So church wasn't a building, it's the people in the building. So that's what we've been talking about. And then we talked about, well, let's figure out how it all began. So we're looking at a book in the Bible called The Acts of the Apostles, and it picks up the story after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension into heaven. It picks up the story. And we said from the beginning, the church wasn't an organization. It wasn't a building. It was a movement. And movements move, right? <laughs> and, of course, it's moved all over the world. And it continues to move. But this movement, we call Christianity, launched around a specific event. And that event was the resurrection of Jesus. So before that, there was no church or church movement. After the resurrection of Jesus, the church or the church movement began. And it began with so much power and energy and enthusiasm, and it was just disruptive. Um, but I came across this statement, and my wife questioned it when we typed this up. My wife types it up for me, by the way. <laughs> She's a faster typer than me. Um, but I really, true, really believe this is true. Christianity is the culmination of all religion. So what is religion? Any religion. Well, religion is a worship of a, some greater power, almighty power, whatever it might be. But every religion has what I call a set of rules. So if you're going to be a good follower of this God, you've got to do this, this, and this. <laughs> The problem is, any religion you pick, whatever rules they have, everybody always breaks the rules, right? Has there anybody, ever been anybody that kept all the rules? So, all religions have a major problem. <laughs> all right? To be good at my religion, I got to keep the rules and I don't keep the rules. I believe Christianity has the only good solution to that, the only possible solution to that. I put it on your outline. The problem is we all are rule breakers. 
So how do I fix that? And of course, we're going to talk about that, but Jesus came to fix that. Since I can't fix it, Jesus fixed it for me. Now, after a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks, <laughs> the church was like thousands of people, more than 5,000. 5,000 men, women, and children, we don't know, 10,000 people. Historians tell us that's about probably more than 10% of the population of Jerusalem. And most of those people were from Jerusalem. Can you imagine if all of a sudden more than 10% of our population started doing something different? That would be pretty disruptive, wouldn't it? And so disruption was a problem, especially since the Romans controlled Israel. They were basically enslaved to the Romans. And the Romans left them alone, as long as they didn't cause any trouble or disruption. This is trouble or disruption. So the religious leaders didn't like that because they didn't want Rome to kind of uh, exert its pressure on them. So, consequently, the church became persecuted because they wanted to stop this disruption and keep the peace, so to speak. So we talked about last week, two of the leaders, Peter and John, two of the disciples, they healed a guy and then they had the audacity to go into the temple and preach about Jesus being resurrected. So they got arrested. Spent the night in jail. Came back the next day. And they threatened them and told them, stop preaching and let them go. And so they get back with the rest of the Christians. And they pray a prayer, which is first recorded prayer in Scripture. They prayed before that. We just don't know what they prayed about. We do know this prayer. And first they started off, Sovereign Lord, you're, you're Almighty God. And then they got down to the part that you and I usually do, the request part, right? We ask God to do this, do that, whatever. So they had two requests. So I'm going to read them again because it, it ties into what we're going to talk about today. Now, Lord, hear their threats. Remember, they were arrested and threatened. And give us your servants, great. Here's the prayer, first quest. Boldness in preaching your word. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you just do that? How bold, much bolder can you get that stand up in the temple without authority to do so and preach? But that was their prayer. So it's either continue with that boldness or give us greater boldness or not to stop our boldness. That was the first part of the prayer. The second part was stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So perform miracles so that people will get, their, get people's attention and they'll ask, tell us more. What's, how is this possible? What's going on? Now, got to thinking about us today. Despite what happened a couple of weeks ago next door, we live in probably one of the safest places in the world, right? And one of our obsessions almost is being safe. I got thinking when I grew up as a kid. We didn't lock our doors. We lock our doors now. We want to be safe, right? Uh, we didn't wear seatbelts. I don't know if cars had seatbelts back then. We didn't wear seatbelts. Make sure you wear your seatbelt. Uh, we didn't have helmets when we rode our bicycles. <laughs> Those of you who have kids now, you, you make sure they have a helmet on, right? There's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just saying our culture, our society is almost safety obsessive. Now, if you travel to other parts of the world, you think it's crazy. Other parts of the world, you think driving is dangerous here? You want to drive in some other parts of the world. 
and they don't wear seatbelts. And the kids do ride in the back of the pickup trucks. And then we pray these prayers, God bless us, which is fine. But people in most of the world hear us pray that prayer and they're thinking, are you ridiculous? Are you crazy? You guys have so much. You, you even have money in your ashtray in your car. I'm thinking, yeah, I do. I've got money in the ashtray of my car. So we pray for safety and we're probably the safest people in the world. We pray to be blessed and we're probably the most blessed people in the world. But they prayed for boldness. How would you rate our boldness? Down here somewhere. There seems to be some kind of disconnect. We had the least of fear, and we seem to be the most fearful. They had a lot to fear, and they weren't afraid at all. The early church. One thing I think that drove them is this. They believed, and I, we would say we believe it, intellectually anyway, everyone lives forever somewhere. So that's either in heaven with God or separated with God and suffering for eternity. I know about you. I don't want my friends, relatives, loved ones suffering for eternity. In fact, I don't want anybody suffering for eternity. So I'm going to make sure at least they have the opportunity, if all possible, not to do that so they can be connected to God. So they were bold. That was more important than threats from the government. Be concerned about people's eternity. Now, we are blessed. Now, one reaction we can have to being blessed is, oh, I feel so guilty that I have so much and nobody else, people in the world. No, 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 no. Don't do that. God chose to bless you. God chose for you to be born in this country, to be born with whatever abilities you have. God bless you. Thank God for that. But it also means you and I are responsible. We're responsible for the material things we have. We're responsible for our time that God's given us. We're responsible for our talents. So Claudia's got to sing, right? God gave her a voice. Musicians have to play because God gave them that talent. I got to get up and share Jesus with people. And that's what God told me to do. So never be guilty for the blessings you have, but be responsible and thankful to God. So, they prayed these two prayers. Let's see how that turned out. Think God answered those two prayers? Let's see. So we're going into the next chapter, Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles were performing many miracle signs and wonders among the people. Prayer was answered, right? And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. They didn't have church buildings. Now, Jews worshiped in the temple. The early church worshiped there some but also from house to house and other places. Now, remember we talked about the miracles last week also. Miracles weren't for the benefit that people that received the miracles. I mean, they, they benefited from it. <laughs> they were healed, uh, but they got sick and died eventually anyway. Miracles then were for the purpose of getting people's attention and drawing people to Jesus. So they were performing all these miracles, and, of course, the people noticed. The text goes on, but no one else dared to join them. So we got this explosion of growth, and all of a sudden, the growth stopped. I don't know. We don't know the reason. Maybe persecution was the reason. Um, the rest of the people weren't interested, whatever it might be. But here's the fascinating thing. So the rest of the people wouldn't join them, 
But, what? Even though all the people had high regard for them. So, I don't want to be a Jesus follower. I don't believe what you believe. But man, I certainly respect you. So my question today is, what made them so attractive? I'm going to use the word attractive. Why were people attracted to them? Why did they think you consider them of high regard? And then my second question is, why, doesn't, why don't the people today consider us the church in high regard? There's some disconnect. We miss something. But these were the folks that were taking the orphan children. These are the folks that would take care of sick people. So, yeah, I might not agree with you theologically, but man, there's something special about the way you guys live and how you treat people. So, this is going on. The religious leaders again, the high council, didn't like what was going on. Uh, We're going to see one of the reasons, but one of the reasons is because it was disrupting the peace. So the text goes on. And says this, the high priest, he's the highest official, he took action, so he called all his colleagues together, other religious leaders, people that belonged to the party of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. Okay, so if you're the big show in town, everybody's coming to listen to you speak and talk about God, and all of a sudden, there's a new kid in town. And people are more excited about them than you, and more people are going to hear them than you. What's, what's the natural reaction? Jealousy, right? Now, let me just remind you that Luke was an historian. And if you're not a big believer in the Bible, this story, or this account, reads as history. He did his research and wrote down the history. So, what action are they going to take? Well... Luke writes it down for us. Here's what happened. They arrested not just Peter and John, but what? The apostles. We don't know. Multiple apostles, maybe all 12 apostles. We don't know. But a bunch of them. We'll just say arrested all 12. And put them in. Now, here's a, de- here's a historical detail. Not that they didn't just put them in jail. They put them in a specific jail, the public jail. Now, just kind of in passing, the text says, an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Officials put them in jail. (laughs) An angel let them out. But the angel just didn't let them out. Gave them a message, gave them an instruction. Told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So, okay, you were doing this. You got arrested. Tendency is to say, well, I better stop doing that, right? So the angel said, no, no, you, you just go back to do what you were doing before. Now, something I need to apologize for us as, as a church, especially pre- preacher types like myself, sometimes we give the impression that follow Jesus, turn your life over to God, and then your life will be good. You'll be trouble-free. It'll be smooth sailing after that. Well, that's not true. In fact, Sometimes it's just the opposite of that. Your life may get more difficult. Christianity doesn't give you a trouble-free life. Great benefits, huge benefits, but it doesn't give you a trouble-free life. In fact, as we look at what happened to the apostles, of course, what they do to Jesus. 
So, not trouble-free, but they were told to do something. Whether it was trouble-free or not, they were going to do it. So, the text goes on. It's just a fascinating story. So, at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, and as they were told, isn't that wonderful? Thinking of Father's Day, fathers, our parents, wouldn't it be wonderful if your kids just did what you told them? Of course, we didn't do that when we were kids, and we're God's kids, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we did everything God told us? But that's what they did. And immediately they began teaching. Now, why? Well, one of the biggest reasons, I think, is because they were eyewitnesses. They had seen Jesus. They had met Jesus. They heard Jesus teach. Not an excuse for us, we're 2,000 years later, but we still should have the same commitment to our beliefs and our faith as they did. <clears throat> okay. So, we got the apostles <laughs> teaching in the temple. The council is getting ready to meet, and they're thinking the apostles are where? In jail, right? They're going to just call them in for a trial. But this messenger arrives from the temple <laughs> to the council. You know those men you put in prison last night? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 12 apostles. Well, uh, they're free. Not only are they free... At this very moment, they're at it again. I love this translation. They're at it again. At it again doing what? Teaching our people, our Jewish people, in the temple about this Jesus. So if you're the religious leaders, what's your reaction going to be at this point? You can guess. Not only did they not stay in the jail, somehow they got out, they're back to doing exactly what they were doing while we arrested them in the first place. So they're furious, right? And so what do they do? They send the guards to go arrest them again. Text goes on. The captain went with the temple guards and arrested the apostles. Now this is really interesting. Without violence. Now normally how would they have done that? They would have went in there, grabbed them by the collar and yanked them out of there. Not this time. They were afraid the people would stone them. So let me use my imagination a little bit. I think the, the, head, the, head, the captain went up to Peter. Uh, Peter, can I have your attention a second? Yeah, come here, come here. Um, i just been ordered to come arrest you guys. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, would you mind coming along with us? Evidently, I don't know exactly how it happened, but evidently it happened something like that. I'm suggesting that maybe they volunteered to go with them so there wouldn't be any trouble, cause any trouble. So they brought the apostle before the high council where the high priest confronted them. All right, so here's the high priest going to say. We gave you strict orders. We're the authority. We're the boss. Never again to teach in, notice this, this man's name. They couldn't even say his name. You know that guy we told you to stop talking about? Don't talk about it. You mean Jesus? We don't want to use that name. Isn't it fascinating? Even today, you can talk to other people about religion and God and so forth. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, the conversation, the tone, the attitude of people changes, doesn't it? There's something about that name, right? There's power in that name for good. There's power in that name to upset people. He goes on, instead, instead of listening to us, 
You'd fill all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. Again, him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. Um, why would they do that? Because they are. They were. Two months ago, they had just killed Jesus, right? These same guys. In fact, Peter is going to reiterate that. Again, boldness. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, first and foremost, they were believed themselves to be the representatives of God here on earth. So, they're saying, well, God told us this, you're telling us something else. So you're definitely not God, or God's spokesman. But notice that we must obey God rather than anybody else. So I got to think about this. You heard a preacher say something, or maybe you're reading something in this book, and it says to do something, and all of a sudden you think, I don't think I want to do that. That's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to take me out of my comfort zone. What do you and I do? Are we committed as much to obeying God as these folks were? And then he goes on. <laughs> He's going to preach to these guys just like he preached to everybody else. And God, <laughs> the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. There is that R word again. Resurrected. After you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Over and over again, same message, right? You killed him. Then God put him in the place of honor, right hand as a prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. There's that culmination of all religion. I'm a rule breaker. I can't fix it. Jesus became our savior, took our place. I can repent. Yes, I'm a rule breaker. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And receive forgiveness because of what Jesus did. And then he says, we are witnesses. There's that word again. There are witnesses. They saw it. They experienced it. Of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Now, this is interesting to me. They could have stopped this conversation anytime they want and say, okay, okay, you keep talking about this Jesus being resurrected. Let's just go to the grave and See his body. Couldn't do it, could they? So they, same myth. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. Same old, you know, broken record. Now, so Peter had, Peter had his say. Now it's the high council's time to do something. So when they heard this, the high council was, there's that word, furious. Now, this always amazes me. And decide to kill. Now, wait, wait a minute. You're supposed to be the most religious people, religious Jewish people, leaders. One of the top ten commandments is what? Do not kill. So we're just kind of going to ignore that. We're going to forget that. Maybe because we've already killed one, maybe it's easier to kill the next twelve. I don't know. But that was a decision they made. But one of the guys stands up and says, wait, 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 wait a minute. One of the members, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, there it is, Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, so he's a pretty important guy, 
stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. So, okay, guys, let me understand something. We killed the, their leader, this Jesus guy, and now we've got, you know, thousands of followers of, of, of Jesus. And now your plan is to, we're going to kill 12 more of them. <laughs> we're going to make 12 more martyrs for them to rally around. Doesn't sound real smart to me, very wise to me. He gives them some history. He says to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was this fellow named Thutis who pretended to be somebody great. 400 others joined him, but he was killed, most likely by the Romans. They only had the ones that have authority to kill. They were causing an uproar, so they killed the leader, and the followers went their various ways, took care of problems. The whole movement came to nothing. So they're sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 we remember that guy. Not a big, we didn't get involved. And he said after him, in the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him. But he was killed too. All his followers scattered. Now this census we know was in Syria. And they took census back then, just like they do today. to know how many people to collect taxes. You've got to know how many people there is to know how much taxes to collect. And so they did it. So some of the people, the Israelites, rebelled, refused to pay the taxes. And, of course, uh, they were defeated by the Romans. This was the first group that was called zealots. Now, we know that word today, but one of Jesus' followers is, is identified, uh, one of the 12, original 12, was identified as a zealot. So he evidently was part of this group. This happened about 77 A.D. So that was 25 years before this or so. Again, they didn't get involved. The Romans just took care of it and the problem was solved. So, he says, okay, here's my advice. Leave these men alone. Let them go. The text goes on. If they're planning um, and doing these things merely on their own, it's just their idea, It'll soon be overthrown, just like these other examples. But, big but, if it is from God, as they say, you will never be able to stop it. You may even be found fighting against God. How do you like those odds, fighting against God? Not very good, are they? Now, did Rome defeat the church? Did the Roman Empire defeat the church? That's just so fascinating. We talked about it before. 300 years later, Christianity is the religion of the Roman Empire. So, they thought this was wise advice, so they accepted the advice. Now, this next part, I think we just kind of skip over. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Who do, who do we know that got flogged? Cat of nine tails. In fact, if you've seen the passion of the Christ, you kind of understand what it's like. It wasn't some guy going, stop doing that. Nine strips of leather with sharp things, glass, and lead balls to bruise your body, and they would wrap it around. So it ripped the skin off the front and back of your body. And they did it 39 times, not once or twice. 
People died from it. Evidently, none of these guys died. But you can imagine the pain and the, and the suffering and the scars that they would have for the rest of their life. But I got to thinking about this. One of the, I don't know if your parents spanked you when you were kids. Ours did. And um, the three oldest of us were close together. And so my mom would punish all three of us when one of us did something wrong. Just make sure she got the right one. <laughs> I don't recommend that, but anyway, that's what she would do. It was usually Pierce, our brother, they would be the one that did something. So you could get in line for your spanking. You know what's worse than being, in line, being the first person to be spanked? Is to be in the last person being spanked. Why? Because you're sitting in there in anticipation of the pain that's coming. Can you imagine being the 12th apostle that got scourged? This would have taken hours. And you would have sat in there watch your best friends being tortured and screaming out in agony, knowing in an hour or two, this is going to happen to me. Isn't it amazing? We just skip over this part and we read it. So, all 12 apostles have been tortured. And then they said, okay, you didn't believe us before? Believe us now. Stop talking in the name. We get Jesus recorded here. And they let him go. Now, if it's you or I, I can almost guarantee you what you and I are going to do at this point, right? We're going to quit. Right? I almost died. I got scars for the rest of my life. What happened to these guys? Well, the apostles left the high council. What's the next word? Tell me. Read it. Rejoicing. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I just got 39 lashes. I'm in trauma, probably. Tremendous pain. Now, they weren't thanking God for the beating, obviously. But they rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer. What? Well, he died for me. It's a privilege to suffer for him. A disgrace for his name. Folks, I don't know about you, but I need to repent. I can't see myself being like that. This is what they're most proud of. We got to suffer. It'd be kind of like um, you come home and guys, you come home from work and you tell your wife, guess what? I got fired for being a Christian today. We have no more income. We don't do that, do we? And that's nothing compared to what happened to these guys. So my question is, what's happened to us? Where's our passion? Where's our obedience? Where's our worthy to be suffer for the cause of Christ? And the text goes on. We're about finished. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message of Jesus and the Messiah. Didn't stop them. So quickly, I kind of think, okay, that was 2,000 years ago. How does it affect us today? So most of us, none of us are going to get flogged, are we? Let me suggest a couple things here real quickly. Decide to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. We've all done that, right? I wish I had said something about Jesus in that conversation. Or even just, I wish I had invited him to church. So make it. Decision to do that. Next step would be take advantage of the opportunities to present themselves. Um, some of you know my neighbor, Mr. Wally, came by yesterday morning. So I'm going to talk about this today. So I always talk to him about Jesus, but I took a 
special note to talk to him more about Jesus than I usually do. Because we feed him breakfast and he's sitting there and so I get to talk to him. Take advantage of those opportunities. And step even further is create the opportunities. Invite somebody over for a meal. And while you're sitting there, you can insert some of the gospel. Let me ask a simple question. <laughs> no matter what you or I do, are we ever going to be flogged for it? No. So why? Why are we less bold? Two quick things I thought of. We forgot what it's like to be, not have peace with God. I've been a Christian since I was a teenager. And we look at our neighbors and friends, and we think they're, they're doing fine, they seem happy, and they may be on the outside, but everybody lives somewhere forever, remember? And they don't have peace on the inside. Second thing is we're just distracted, busy. What's most important? We do what we consider most important. So I'll leave that. What's most important? And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're delighted you've been listening. And I know to push back, I, that's the thing I hate about Christians, that they're so bold. Well, you can relax, because most Christians are secret agent Christians. You probably don't even know they're Christians. So you just, just relax. I would wish that would be true. Folks, there's something beyond this life. So here's my take-home, homework assignment, whatever. Let's focus, like I did yesterday. Let's focus on taking some little boldness steps. Would you do that? I think God would be honored by that. Let me pray with you. We'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you so much for this amazing story. It puts us to shame, I'm sure. I'm, I, 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 I'm guilty. So what do we do about it? Are we just going to feel guilty? Are we going to try and just forget about it? Or are we going to take it seriously? I pray that we do. And for anybody that's watching or listening that's not a Jesus follower, we, we can't finish the service without inviting you to come to Jesus. Because you're going to live for eternity someplace. And you can't fix it yourself. But Jesus already fixed it for you. He offers it as a free gift. If you accept that gift, you can have forgiveness for your sins and a promise of eternity in heaven with God. I pray that you would do that this morning. And Father God, continue to speak through this service for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.